Welcome to Campus Beat. Last week, we chatted with Sydney Fowler, a con ed student and top presenter in the recent Inquiry at Queen's Conference. In this segment, today, we're chatting with Tina L. Souf about her Inquiry at Queen's top presentation entitled The History of Archaeological Work and Attitudes Towards Antiquities in Uruk. Welcome, Tina. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so this sounds really fascinating. Tell us about Uruk. I hope that's pronounced correctly. Yeah. Tell us about Uruk as a, as a historical and archaeological site. Right. So um, Uruk is an ancient Near Eastern city. It was uh, likely founded around 4500 BCE. Um, today, it actually rests in present-day Baghdad in Iraq. Um, there's mm-hmm. other names for it. Uh, some people refer to it as Warka. Some people refer to it as its ancient name by Aruk. Um, and it's actually the mother city of ancient Sumer, the ancient region in Mesopotamia. And it was a very early site. It characterized a lot of the things that we see today, like social, technological, religious, economic, cultural elements. Uh, it made it the pretext for Mesopotamian civilization, so much so that there was actually a uh, period, a time period dedicated to it that uh, I mentioned this in my presentation. My my grandfather, Behnam Abu Al-Suf, he actually uh, had a focus on um, pottery and wares from that site, which was called the Aruk period. Uh, it was between 4100 to 3100. Um, and the goals of my research were to actually discuss the history of archaeological work and the attitudes towards the antiquities they found at the site, because it actually varied based on the time periods, uh, the political time periods in Iraq at the time. Okay, thank you. And now tell us a little bit more about your own studies and then the facets of Uruk and study about this site that inspire your inquiries. Yeah, so I currently I am finishing my fourth year as a classical um, studies undergraduate student and I'm actually going to be returning to Queens in the fall for my uh, my master's program as a a classics student. Um, But when I was Last year, when I was finishing my third year, um, I have a professor, she was actually my supervisor for my project, um, Dr. Barbara Reeves. She has an interest in Near Eastern um, archaeology, specifically in her own personal research at Humaima, which was in Jordan. And uh, she inspired me actually to focus on um, doing a research project that was something that related to my, my region, because I'm native Assyrian. And um, focusing on Near Eastern archaeology is a really good step outside of um, classical Greco-Roman, and it helps me kind of uh, connect to my roots. So um, I was looking around for topics, and I found that Aruk would be a great start to my journey. And uh, after doing all of the research, putting it all together, I feel like this was a really good start to um, unfolding the rest of, uh, I guess, finding out my heritage and and uh, uncovering ancient sites that uh, relate to, you know, my native my native um, background. So it was really exciting to get this start. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. And best wishes on your master's degree coming up this fall, too. Amazing. Thank you. So tell us about a little bit more about the project you have been working on and the specific arguments related to the evolution of archaeology in this region. 
Right. So um, the goals of my research, actually, they were to discuss, uh, like I said, the history of archaeological work and the um, attitude towards the antiquities. And I put an emphasis on, um, for example, the teams that excavated there, uh, the way that they excavated, what they found, the conditions of the permits that they were given. Um, also, one of the most important things was um, how the finds were distributed. Um, and I brought in the government and uh, political slash professional policies of Iraq because um, the different periods actually constituted the different uh, teams that worked there and then the um, how the finds were distributed because uh, for example the first period I focus on is um, Uruk in the Ottoman Empire period and hmm. at that point the Ottoman I mean Iraq wasn't really considered um, its own region at that point so um, the group that led it they had permits that let take uh, let them take the antiquities outside of the region um, into for example the British Museum or to um, a German museum so as we move along towards the project, I focus on, I, I believe, five total time periods. So um, I move on to Uruk in the Ottoman Empire period, to Uruk in the British Mandate period, then uh, Uruk when Iraq is an independent kingdom, then an independent republic. And then the final one is Uruk after um, the 2003 uh, US-led invasion. And there's mm -hmm. a huge difference in between because um, the times that Iraq um, kind of becomes more um, nationalistic and they take over and we have leaders that are uh, of Iraqi origin rather than let's say a British uh, led uh, leader. Um, when they're the ones drafting the antiquities laws, as we move on, we see that there's much more Iraq interest in their in their artifacts. They won't let anything export out of the region. Um, they require a lot more care towards the um, artifacts that are being discovered, and it's less of a Western-dominated affair. The most the more time that we move on, so this was really really interesting for me to study. Um, and I think it's really worth um, presenting it and teaching people how um, archaeology really evolved in regions like this, where I guess not many people would um, think to wonder how, you know, something like this would emerge. And, and interesting, too, because uh, many folks who might uh, go view an artifact in one of the British museums or even the Canadian one, for example, might yeah. not really understand the story, the, yeah. Im the imperial impacts, for example, it, yeah. of how this object came to be in the possession of not only this group, but then it moved over here, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Really interesting stories that can be told not only of the artifact in its, you know, classical storytelling yeah. situation how what this artifact meant 5000 years ago but mm -hmm. what it has meant and what it means as it's been moving around the globe yeah. over the last 100 years yeah exactly um oh wow yeah it was very very interesting to study um, I even surprised myself. I mean, I, I, in my paper, I even, uh, in my presentation, I gave some examples of some things that were from the British Museum. And it's crazy because if someone were to go see the collection, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. That's from somewhere that's not here. But then that's exactly the problem. Um, and that's the proof that there was um, a lot of back and forth of um, Iraq trying to gain their independence and actually trying to retrieve these um artifacts but you know it's just a proof that history you know 
has taken its toll and we're seeing the evolution of um, archaeology as a more uh, professional and um, scientific uh, uh, process. So um, I think it's really important to study, I mean, not just classical, but now Near Eastern sites to see how um, they were affected by this. So absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and Tina, let's hear a little bit more about your research process. You touched on it uh, by talking about uh, looking at uh, five different periods, for mm -hmm. example, and, and then some of the policy. Let's dig a little bit deeper into your research process taken to arrive, that you took to arrive at some of the answers and your inquiries made so far. So you, uh, were you visiting archives? How were you, what artifacts were you talking about? Let's hear a little bit more about the, the nitty gritty of the research. <laughs> sure. So um, when I was working with uh, Dr. Reeves, we met every week and we kind of took it step by step. So, uh, for example, I would focus first on um, easy. The e most easy thing is dividing Uruk into its uh, its time periods and seeing when it was um taken over by um, a certain team. So that was my first step. And then after that, I would slowly start to find, um, um, I would find sources from those teams that would tell me uh, what they excavated, how they excavated, what part of Aruk, um, what happened to the artifacts. And uh, for example, um, when I talk about Aruk in the Ottoman Empire period, the first investigation that I actually uh, talk about is um, one that wasn't a real archaeological excavation. It, um, it was because it was by this uh, British geologist named uh, William Kenneth Loftus. And he just had an interest on what we would describe today as uh, basically looting. Um, and he would go into Aruk uh, with a um, team of laborers and he would um, excavate, he excavated the topmost uh, layer, so the latest layer, and um, he donated the finds or, uh, to the British Museum and kept, kept some relics for himself. So, um, but in this, I was looking at his own work um, that talked about travels uh, in many parts of the, um, the Near East uh, and Warka, which he referred to was one of them. Uh, when I looked at the distribution of the finds, um, I looked at the British Museum archives and I looked at the acquisition dates from around 1851 to 1854 because that was the time that he was there. And you can see many artifacts that he gave to them. Uh, they have pictures of them and ex um, explanations of what they are. Um, for example, he put in a lot of gold ornaments, acroteria, um, and um, he would give a lot of uh, pottery pieces and stuff like that. So it was really interesting to see, I mean, physically see the, the proof of, uh, of his, um, his trip. Um, and then as we move on towards the different levels, I had a lot of research on, e, um, for example, on the um, uh, each team that worked on it. So there were, I think, three separate teams that worked on it. Uh, the first one was Loftus. The second one was the German uh, Archaeological uh, Institute. And they worked, I believe, until the independent kingdom of Iraq. And after that point, it was um, the Deutsch... Uh, um, archaeological institute and um, I would look at different um, 
uh, reports by them to see what exactly that they were um, they were excavating, and then they also told me where the, the the finds would be distributed. For example, I found that some of them from a certain period were given to a German museum, and they were actually part of an exhibition, uh, sorry, exhibition um, called Three Thousand Years in the Mega City, and they were giving they were showing them finds from Aruk. So um, that was pretty recent, and uh, that was also showing that they were taking some finds out. Um, but in terms of the more government and political parts of my research, I looked at, um, most importantly, was the antiquities laws. I had to go uh, pretty deep to find a lot of them. And for example, in the um, Uruk in the Man in British Mandate period, there was a woman named Gertrude Bell, and she actually drafted her own set of antiquities laws for Iraq on a Western uh, interest. She didn't give any local Iraqi interest. She actually said it would be in the best interest of uh, everyone to uh, have the finds exported to the British Museum. Um, and this was very, very, uh, at the time, um, well, it was accepted because her laws were drafted, but um, there were some nationalists, Iraqi nationalists, that kind of opposed that. And um, because of that, yeah, because of that, they um, eventually uh, countered countered her. And then as the time periods went on, I found the other antiquities laws that were drafted. So, for example, the first Iraqi one was in 1936, and uh, uh, which is, seems like not, not even that long ago. But that's when they actually began to have laws in Iraqi interest, and they were not allowed to export any laws. Then they were updated in 1958, uh, I believe 76. And then finally, the one that we use today is the one from 2002. Um, and after that, I would look at uh, um, some articles and I would look at the, the main book that I was studying on Uruk itself, but to find the policies. I mean, this book was in a German, it was in their institute's uh, point of view. So they weren't really looking much at the, the permits and stuff because this was more of an Iraqi interest. So um, I would look at some other articles to see what the Iraqi point of view of everything was. And, and that would help me kind of shape my paper. Thank you so much for all of that detail. I, I'm, I'm just so excited to learn more. And I wonder too if you could if you could talk about maybe some of the um, theories of empire that you might be using to read along the archival grain here. Are you are you, for example, um, developing some work from uh, Edward Said and or Orientalism to do some reading into the archives and and into the approaches that you're um, that you're mobilizing? Um, I haven't as of yet. So um, this paper was kind of my first scratching the surface of um, of learning more about, um, for example, imperialism and how it affects archaeology and um, distribution of artifacts and and nationalism and how you know the perspectives that are taken. I mean, is it a Western dominated affair? Is it an Iraqi dominated affair? Um, I do mention in my paper that there are um, the first set of Iraqi archeologists that emerge in Iraq at the time. And that is a huge play, um, a huge step in Iraqi nationalism and them kind of showing that, hey, 
we are part of this field too. And um, it starts with Taha Bakir and Fuad Safar, both of which I believe are one of which um, taught my grandfather. So those two were the first generation that I believe emerged in 1952. And then in 19, around, I think, 63, that's where my grandfather emerged as a second generation. So um, this, this kind of... It's, it's hard to kind of explain because I haven't done, I haven't been able to look forward. I mean, my future plans would be looking at other sites that possibly connect to my uh, personal background. So I wanted to look at Nineveh, but now that I have the information about um, how different each time period affected archeology span and the practice and everything like that, I'm very interested in diving in once again and looking at if there's any differences here, if we're, work, we're looking at the same uh, process. Um, it's, it's very interesting. I would definitely um, use the museums as um, their archives to see kind of the time periods I'm looking at or if things were given from that place, which I believe I have seen when I was looking at Aruk. I was looking at some other places that uh, finds were distributed from like Larsa and uh, I believe there were some from Nineveh and um, Samara. There, there are quite a lot of places in the Near East that uh, that are feature in the British Museum. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Oh, wow. What a what a fruitful journey I think you'll be taking. And you did mention that you'll be um, moving forward into a master's degree here in the classics department at Queen's University. Yes. So you'll be mobilizing some of this research in those future studies. Do you think you'll also uh, perhaps dig into the ground a bit with some archaeology <laughs> studies as well? Yes, I hope so. Uh, I, I actually wanted to go on a dig in my uh, undergraduate, uh, I guess, career, but because of um, with the pandemic, I wasn't able to. But um, thankfully, I think next summer I'll be going on a dig because uh, it will be actually part of my um, classics uh, master's credits. So I'm very excited to do some of my own digging because being an archaeologist, actually, I mean, I want to follow in my grandfather's footsteps and I would like to start, you know, networking and, and, and kind of getting myself really into the world and um, exploring new things for myself. And the research part is all great, but I would, I mean, I bet anyone would love to actually just kind of go and see where everything really began and, and work on it. You know, it's, it's just, it's very inspiring and it's very, uh, I'm very excited for it. I, I just think even some of the conversations, uh, different research approaches you can take, certainly uh, yeah. you'll think about these as you move into your master's period. But sure. even just having conversations with, uh, for example, newcomers to Canada um, and people who are from the region but living elsewhere in the world, but even having conversations with people still living in the historic region of Uruk mm -hmm. in and around Baghdad, if that's possible, yeah. and, and being able to understand, well, what what are the stories about these artifacts or this site that you're actually aware of and yeah. who was doing the telling as well? I think there's so much rich stuff that you would be able to uh, mine even just from having having those conversations while while also completing your own storytelling journey oh, too. Yeah, it, it has been such a great journey. It was it was so exciting. And uh, once I actually kind of held my paper in my hands, I'm like, wow, like this is my work. This is just the beginning. And it's I think it's a good a, a really good start to to um, diving more into this field. So was, all right. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> well, all the best for uh, your future endeavors with your master's degree program. And thank you so much for joining us, Tina. What a fascinating topic. It's It's thank been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Folks, we have been chatting with Tina Al Souf of the Department of Classics here at Queen's University, finishing her fourth year, about to enter the master's program there. And she recently presented a wonderful paper entitled The History of Archaeological Work and Attitudes Toward Antiquities at a Rook at the Inquiry at Queen's Conference held this March. Thank you again, Tina. Can't wait to have you on board again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs>